Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say our guest today is Dev Tandon. Dev is the founder of the Oboe Movement. Dev, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me here. Right. And, and tell us a little bit about the movement. This isn't Oboe the instrument, right? No, no, no. Although it uh, phonetically sounds the same, it's actually quite different than that. And I think much more, much more exciting in some ways. So the Oboe Movement is a movement to transform how we as a society do business, right? Changing the focus from money to employee fulfillment and showing the world that when we change the focus from empl- uh, money to employee fulfillment, that money will actually come to us. So the movement is not anti-money or anti-materiality or anything like that. It's just saying that business today, unfortunately, has become largely about money. And so what we're doing is we're saying, all right, so let's take the money, let's put it aside just for one second, right? And let's reestablish the human connection in business, which has been lost, right? For most of us around, certainly in America and mostly uh, around the world. And what we are saying is that when we do that, that this pile of money that we put over here and said, hang on a second, is actually going to come back to us and come back to us many fold. And so really what this is based on is <clears throat> eons of ancient wisdom from around the world, right? From every great philosophical tradition, east and from east to west, that have said for thousands of years that when we lead with the qualities of love and abundance and uh, these virtues, that prosperity actually comes to us. You know, there's this illusion that we have as uh, humans that very often we go out and get prosperity. We go out and get money. I got to go get it. I got to go do this. And what the great teachers of every great tradition around the world have always said is that that's actually backwards. What happens is this prosperity comes to us when we are doing uh, the right thing. And so one way to describe what we're doing is taking all of this ancient wisdom that has been around, right, since the beginning of time, and essentially infusing it into an operating system for business. And so there's a lot of one-line descriptors. I'm sure others will come up as we have this conversation. But one way to describe it really simply just to sort of get it is if the Buddha were a CEO, <laughs> exactly, yeah. how would he run the company, right? I mean, right. would anything be hidden? for instance, would, what would it be about? It would all be about service to the employees, right? About supporting employees on their life journey. And people say, oh, well, yeah, but a company has to have products and a company has to have a strategy and a company has to have all. Yes, but what the great teachers have all taught us is that that's all byproduct of the awakening. And when the individuals in the, in the, in the movement are, or in the business are awakened, are supported on their life journeys, then all of those externalities, products, you know, customer relationships, strategy, all that stuff, it all sorts itself out and it actually sorts itself out even better than the way that we're doing it today. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and why employee? Because couldn't you make the case that, no, this is about customers or yeah. this is about society in general? Or, you know. Good question. Good question. So a lot of people ask that uh, question because they say, wait, no, 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 actually, customer is most important, right? And the products are most important. and you know, what this is really based on is um, <clears throat> what every great philosopher has always said, where's the answer? The answer is within. We've all heard this, right? Growing up and in the mindfulness movement, there's a lot of discussion about the answer is within. And so what is within? Sorry, so, 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 I just, what was that? Michael Miss? Michael Miss movement? A mindfulness movement. Right? Oh, sorry. mindfulness. Sorry. I, I yeah, we hear right, about yeah. in the mindfulness movement, right, that Oh, the answer is within. And so first of all, what is within a business? What is within a business is the employees, 
right? That's, that's first and foremost. And what these great teachers of eons have always said is that when we solve it within, that everything gets resolved without, if you will, right? All of these externalities. And so what is the best way to connect with your customers? By first connecting to yourself. And so that's really the idea here is that once we connect the individual employees in the business, reestablish that human connection. And by the way, the only way that can happen is if they start connecting to themselves, right? Again, once that happens, then all of these relationships, the customer relationships, the relationships to the products, the relationships to the uh, strategic planning, all the things that have to happen in the business, they all get done. And I'm not saying they're unnecessary. Of course, they're very necessary but they get done much better, much more effectively, much higher quality, et cetera, uh, than they do when we're doing it the, con the current conventional way, which is essentially chasing money, right? At the expense of each other. <clears throat> because essentially what has happened is we are now, you know, business views, management views, employees, unfortunately, a lot of the time as tools to make money, as opposed to the human family that we are. And we actually have some examples of what we're doing in the movement itself as the movement gets off the ground of how this actually comes to life and how we actually live these uh, virtues and what happens when we do it. You know, real commercial outcomes, if you will, right, that are highly positive and much better than what we would have achieved if we did it the conventional way. Right, which, which of course, people are, and anybody and the hard headed capitalists are going to start asking those questions very, very quickly, right? Um, but coming back to the connection, and I completely resonate there with that idea that it's about, well, first about connecting with ourselves to allow us to connect with others. And so is, how, does, how does that really manifest then in terms of where we're putting our attention uh, sort of day to day? Is, yeah, is this good, good point. So the easiest way to describe that would be maybe through an example, right, in our own experience, right? So we have right now a, uh, a graphic design intern a junior in college, her name was Delaney, who just started with us uh, a few weeks ago. And what we did was the first day uh, of, of when she started, how would it normally work, right, in a normal company? And I'll be a little bit uh, uh, facetious here, but it's probably not all that far off from, you know, how it actually works. How it normally works is, you know, we sit down, I say, okay, Delaney, we have 27 different projects that we need done from you on this internship. Project number one is due on Friday. Project number two is due on Tuesday. And I don't care whether you eat or sleep or anything like, I need these projects done from you, right? I'm going to tell you that I care about you and that I want you to be passionate, but really, I don't give a damn about you. I'm here to extract everything that I possibly can from you, right? That's how it normally works. So put that aside for a moment. How do we do it the oval way? So what we did was on day one, I started with her. And the first phone conversation, I said, all right, Delaney, the objective of this internship, the primary objective is actually not these 27 projects. The primary objective is for you to be able to look back 15 weeks from now and say to me and say to yourself that you are happier and more fulfilled in your life than you were when you started this internship. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the work as a vehicle to get you there. Okay. Now, a lot of people hear this, oh, well, you know, that sounds great, but like, how are you actually going to do that? Okay, bring it down to brass tacks. How are you actually going to do that? And I'll explain that in a moment uh, uh, to kind of show how simple it is. But I'll just pause for a moment to say that her head 
kind of exploded when she heard this because nobody's ever heard that, right? In a job, in, a, in the first day of the job, it's all about what can I take from you as opposed to what can I give you. And so what we did on the first day was we said, all right, instead of starting on these projects, I want you to just take some time. It's a little bit like Karate Kid, wax on, wax off for those listeners that ever see Karate Kid, right? It's like, why am I, doing, why am I painting the fence? Well, it's like, yeah, you're painting the fence so that you can become an expert in, you know, black belt and karate. So we said, all right, I want you to close your eyes on the first, on, and take some time on the first day and feel a point of resistance in your body, something that keeps you from feeling the most alive, right? We all have them. It could be anger. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be fear. It could be, pick one, right? And so she thinks about it for a day and she comes back and she said, okay, uh, I want to work on anxiety. She said, okay, anxiety. Now, it's the, you and I know, it's the easiest thing in the world to craft a job and a role, right, in a, in a business that will intentionally induce anxiety, right? I mean, put her on a stage to present, have her be in a, on a call to present to an important client, whatever, name, pick your thing. But then what we do is we create a loving and safe environment for her to work through it, right? And so... The job becomes not about creating the designs. The job is actually about working through her anxiety. And what we're doing is we are using the job as the vehicle to get her there. And so layered on top of that are a whole series of tools that we've implemented in our you know, daily calls and things that we're doing. Like, for instance, we start our calls with two minutes of silence. I mean, imagine starting a business call, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody always wants to get to the agenda. Who's got the agenda? Put the agenda up on the screen. Can you, can you share the agenda? Can you send out the agenda beforehand so I can take a look? It's like all about the agenda, right? And it's like, just put the agenda aside for two minutes, right? And magical things happen when we do that. When we take those two minutes to just unplug. And what I always say is in those two minutes, you know, anything you want from meditation to multitasking. Your choice, <laughs> right? Your choice. I just ask that you keep two minutes of silence, right? And what has happened, the results have been unbelievable. In one month, she has, the amount of volume, quality, efficiency, productivity, the amount of output, I mean, she has produced an entire series of merchandise line. I mean, over 250 designs in a, in a merchandise uh, line that we're going to be, for a business we're going to be launching later this year. She's done our PowerPoint presentation. She's done a draft uh, of the website. She's done uh, enhancements to uh, uh, book artwork, like the, the book that's coming out uh, that I've got pub- uh, publishing later this year. She's done all of the artwork for the entire book, front cover, back cover, sleeves, et cetera. So it's proving out this model, right? That when we focus on the individual, that it's not that the projects are unimportant. It's not that the designs are unimportant. It's not that they shouldn't be visual. These are the equivalents in your question of like, well, what about customers and what about products? And all, yeah, of course, all that stuff's important. Like in this case, it is important, but it's how we actually do it. You know, so work actually becomes something that is for you as, about some, as opposed to something that's t- being taken from you. And when we have that really simple shift, I mean, what I just described was a really simple shift. I mean, this is not like, you know, you got to go get an MBA or like retool your whole business, install a new system, spend $800 billion to put a new, no, I mean, it's like you take two seconds to just like, think about it and say like how can i be in service to this person you know wow. yeah so this yeah. thing is nothing short of a revolution because if we look at it today we are probably the most disconnected as a human society that we've ever been in human history i mean i think very few people will argue that point 
right? Well, I, when I heard you that heard you, heard uh, heard you say that, I, I thought, well, in one in one sense, we're the most connected ever, yeah. right? Through our technology, yeah. But in terms of connection to you know who we are and our meaning and yeah, absolutely, our absolutely. Oh, I mean, and there's a lot of research and discussion that's going on today about the effects of social media and technology and all of these things, right? That these are see those are tools. Right. They're tools that can be used to connect. I mean, ultimately, the connection has to happen through us, through the human beings actually choosing to connect. It's not the technology. Technology can grease the skids a little bit, so to speak. But the technology is not the culprit here. The culprit is how we're actually using the technology. Right. And so we live in a really um, critical and frankly, in some ways, a golden time. We have tools at our disposal that we as a human race have never had. Right. And so the question is, how do we use those tools to transform the workplace, to make it an, a place of healing, a place of connection, a place of love, a place of belonging? And what we see is you don't have to get there. Like, you don't have to get all the way there. It's not like you have to climb Everest, right, to get the beautiful vista. You could, like, frankly, if we get to base camp at this point, right, it's like, you know, it's like it, it's a big leap forward from where we're at for most of us, right? Most people are going, I mean, Gallup, right, has done this poll. I'm sure many people listening to this have heard about it, right? 86% employee dis- disengagement around the world, right? That means 8.6 people out of 10 are going to work unhappy, somewhere between unhappy and miserable, right? Right, yeah. And, and so what this is going to do is it's going to turn it all around. And what happens is work and play fuse into a singularity right and that makes com- complete sense and and you're echoing actually a previous guest nikki gatton became on the show and one of the things that she does in her business is she has these dream consultations so when people first come to the business she asks them what's your dream in life and our job as an organization is to help you achieve that dream whatever it is right? yeah and and, yeah. and she has uh, the 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 people who surveyed her company on culture had to create a new category of engagement because they'd never seen employees so engaged. Wow. So they wow. created a category yeah. called super engaged, and that was the title of her book. So people are picking up on this, right? There's something yeah. we've been missing, and it's kind of right there in front of our noses. Right. We've just got to dive in and, and start orientating ourselves in this way. You absolutely nailed it. It's right there. In fact, I would, I would even go further. It's actually not even in front of our noses. It's within us. Right. It's even closer. <laughs> if we just, oh, right? I mean, it's even closer than that. All we got to do is open our eyes and, again, put the proverbial agenda aside. I mean, it's really amazing. You think about it. Most calls, business calls, and I'm sure you'll uh, agree, they start with, a forced like two minutes of pleasantry, exchanging pleasantries. How's the weather? How's the kid? Okay, let's get right into it, right? And so it's like 2% pleasantries and 98% you know, agenda of the call. And what we've done in the movement, I mean, we have calls okay, in the movement where it's the reverse, where we actually have 98% of the call is just, it's just humans connecting. And an amazing thing happens when we do that. The remaining 2% of the call becomes so efficient and so in the flow that everything just gets done like automatically. I mean, all the things about in this graphic design example, it's like, I don't know if it should be blue or red. Like, it doesn't matter. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But like, that's why we hired you. Like, go figure it out. You know what we're trying to do here, right? Get in the flow. You know, there's this term, right? In the flow or in the sports, they call it in the zone, right? When it's mm. sports players in the zone, they're just like on fire, right? 
well, what does it mean to be in the zone? What it means to be in the zone is to, it means to be connected. It means to be truly feeling more alive, right? Which is, goes back to the, uh, the, the way we framed the first conversation, right? With our intern Delaney. And so when that happens, amazing. I mean, everyone listening to this podcast has been in the zone at some point, right? I mean, if you're a writer, you've been in the zone and you boom, you just like knock out, you know, 50 pages in one sitting. How did I do that? Well, you just like got in the zone, right? Or if you're putting together a PowerPoint or you're, you're working on an Excel model, right? You're programming or you're programming, right? I come from a computer programming background, right? It's just kind of like, whoa, man, that thing came together really quickly. And so how do we achieve that flow state? Through techniques like what I was describing earlier, which actually are much simpler than, uh, and much more accessible because they're right here. The right. innate wisdom is there. You've yeah. got it. I've got it. We've all got it. Yeah. But... Um but not necessarily easy. I mean, certainly with my, my experiences, but this has been a multi-decade project for me to uh, be able to get better connected to myself, to my body, to my feelings. Um, and I'm wondering about you here. Did, did, is this, have you always been like a frustrated Buddha just waiting for your opportunity to start your movement? <laughs> or uh, yep. or uh, did, did this kind of creep up on you? Or did you have, or was there an epiphany? How's this happened? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. And I'll say one thing just on your, on your last point. It's absolutely not easy. My, I have a, a good friend who always says it's simple, but not easy, right? It's very simple mm. what I'm talking about here, but it's not easy to do. You know, in terms of my journey, so actually I graduated from college in 2000. I was a, a computer science major. And then I went and worked at the global management consulting firm McKinsey for two years, which is as, you know, kind of hardcore on a lot of these topics, right, as you can, as you can get. Uh, and then, yeah, spent a couple of years there. And then, th then I actually started my own company consulting and software, uh, that I ran for the next 16 years up until last year. So I have like 20 years in industry, you know, serving CEOs and boards of very large companies and private equity firms. So like I was in as traditional, uh, you can call it corporate America, but really glo global corporate uh, environment, um, as, as it gets. And what I found was that I, was really, I, it was, it was painful, right? It was so, I, I couldn't even, I didn't even realize like how painful it was, but I somehow stuck to it, you know, as I'm sure you do, as I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, to this podcast do, we're really good at, you know, water hits the stone and water can grind through the stone, right? If it pushes hard enough, but it's a whole heck of a lot easier to go around the stone, right? And so I was kind of grinding through the stone from a, a business and professional standpoint for the last 20 years. And then simultaneous to that, I had gone on this personal self-improvement journey and I'd done everything from, you know, and still do uh, from meditation to yoga, to, you know, therapy, to seminars, to body work. I mean, all of it. Right. And those two worlds kind of came uh, together late last year when this movement came to me, I was actually on a plane heading to Mexico and I was meditating. And um, if uh, anyone who's listening meditates knows that like, Occasionally, you'll just get this boom, like all of a sudden, it's just there, like this huge volume of wisdom, right? And so I had uh, the idea for the movement, right, came to me in meditation. It was, just, it was all there, right, in an, in an instant. And it took about 30 days after that of just sort of fleshing it out, just sort of consumed more and more of me and my consciousness. And then it got to the point where it was a point of no return, where I was like, you know, it's sort of like once you learn that four plus three is seven, you can't unlearn it, right? So these topics that we're talking about here now, right? And like this way of operating in business, once you've lived it, you're never going to go back, right? To the, to, to the, you know, to the like corporate America, global corporate way of doing things. And so that was kind of my journey here, which is both exhilarating, 
and a bit terrifying because somehow this has to work at Feed My Family. <laughs> but it will. We, we've got, I mean, we've had an amazing amount of progress and just what I would call business manifestation, you know, out, uh, like positive commercial outcomes that have happened, particularly in the past six months that, and we have a, a path toward launching um, a, a couple of businesses that are going to operate on these principles that will bring in uh, money for the movement. So it's a very exciting uh, time and a very exciting opportunity for the world. Right. And what are some of those outcomes? Yeah. So I'll name a couple. So uh, I mentioned a book. We've got a, uh, a book uh, coming out later this year that, uh, that I've written that I'm uh, publishing and I worked with a ghostwriter on it. So that story is a really kind of interesting and, and phenomenal story. One of uh, the, the, the principles of the movement in action, right? So late last year, people were asking, you know, this is kind of, as the idea was sort of congealing, people say, this is a really interesting idea. Do you think you'll write a book on it one day? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm like, yeah, I would love to write a book on it one day, but probably we're, th- you know, it's going to be like 2020 or beyond, right? And we have a lot of stuff to do. And I don't know, I don't know uh, how it'll come together, or when it'll come together. So then in January of this year, I got connected to a, a guy here, actually, uh, just south of where uh, I live in Santa, in Santa, he lives in Santa Cruz, named John Selby. I met him through my alumni network. And John and I connected and got on the phone, you know, kind of much like this. It wasn't a podcast interview, but it was all about just human beings connecting. That's another key message of this movement, right? It's not, it's not about the transaction. It's not about what you can do. Let's just connect, right, and, and talk. And so we get on the phone, and I introduce myself. He introduces himself. And I learned in the call that he is in, an author and a ghostwriter, right? He's done, he's done many, many other things in his career. But uh, these days, he's kind of focused on that. And he's written over 50 books. I think at last count, he was a 59. So this guy can like write a book in his sleep sort of a thing, right? So we talk, I tell him about what we're doing. He tells me about what he's doing. And then I say, hey, you know, it sounds really interesting. I'm sure we'll write a book one day. Maybe we'll, um, it'd be cool to collaborate, right? We should stay in touch. He said, yeah. So we hang up the phone. That was a Monday. Two days later, he calls me up and he goes, dude, I've spent most of the last 48 hours thinking about our conversation. He's like, I'm, he goes, I'm going to write the book on the movement. If I do it among my other projects, which I just need to like feed my family, right? Like it'll take me six to eight months. Now remember that he's written 59. So like he can do it. He says, if we can somehow clear my plate, right? Which I would want, I want to do so I can focus exclusively on this book, right? I can give you the book in 60 days. So I went from not knowing this guy to kicking off the book, and actually before the book we did a manifesto, which is on the website, in nine days. From the day he started the book to the day he delivered the first manuscript, first copy of the manuscript, 275 pages, 50 days. Then I took 50 days on top of that, layered in my voice, restructured all that stuff, right? And then 100 days, we had 275 page manuscript. It then went through three rounds of editing, and that brings us up to two weeks ago, and it's going to be published this fall. Right. Right? And how did it all happen? It happened through human connection. All we did was we focused on this. There's so many other examples. We have our branding is done. You know, companies pay millions of dollars, right? Some for logos, as I'm sure you know. In fact, it's rumored, I think Deloitte for their logo, you know, Deloitte full stop, I think paid Mm. seven figures for that thing. Okay. So late last year, this is another example. I was like, how are we going to come up with our branding for the movement? You know, OBO, I said, we got it. We need branding, right? But we don't have any money. What are we going to do? So what we did was we got seven people together from the movement who are passionate about branding, right? 
And it's important to know that not one of them is a graphic designer by trade. Now, why is that important? Because in the conventional world, it's all about skill before passion, right? It's all about I'm here to extract as much from your you know, skill, skill from you as I possibly can. And I'm going to tell you I want you to be passionate, but really, I don't care. In the oboe world, it's flipped around. It's passion before skill. So we have seven people passionate about uh, branding together. In a span of six weeks and three major iterations, we came up with a branding that you can see on our website, which is literally, I mean, triple infinity, three circles, three dots, three letters, three colors, mm. three, I mean, hugely significant. Essays one day will be written on the symbolism, right? And I can sit here and tout it, right? Because I didn't make it, so I'm not even being arrogant. You know what I mean? These guys did it. I didn't do anything, you know? And people are asking me these questions, like, how is this getting done? Like, how do you? And these are two examples. There are literally dozens and dozens of examples that I could give you on bringing these uh, businesses and this movement uh, uh, together and off the ground toward a, a path to revenue. So one of the businesses that we're launching is going to bring in revenue for the revenue and uh, for the movement to help fuel further growth, right? By the way, everything that I've told you so far, these couple of examples and all the other dozens of projects that we have underlay are all the results so far of only one person full-time. And that's me. And almost no money. So imagine when we get these businesses off the ground and money starts flowing into the movement. And my dream my dream is to bring a significant amount of money into this movement that is what I call unfettered capital. Meaning there's no outside investor telling us that they need a 2x, 3x, 10x return. Because frankly, it's the 2x, 3x, 10x that got us into this mess that we see today, right? So what we're going to do is my goal is to raise $100 million of unfettered capital. Call me a dreamer. Fine, I'm a dreamer. Yes, I am. Call me an idealist. Yes, I am. But we're going to get $100 million of unfettered capital minimum that no one else controls, and we are now in charge of deploying that money using the principles of the movement. Extreme total transparency, leading with love and abundance, right? And putting people absolutely first, and I would go, dare say, as the only thing, because those people will figure out all the rest of it, the products, the customers, all of that stuff. Right, right. And, and I'm exhilarated by the dream already. I mean, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, I guess, I suppose there are maybe people thinking this and this thought comes to mind is that, is there a danger with these types of movements that are very utopic that they, they kind of, that they become, they become corrupted. And um, how do you, how do you govern something like this so that it sort of stays true to its, its mission and it, you know, this, this million doesn't get spent in corrupt ways. So this is, in some ways, its own like hour long podcast. There's a lot of detail there, but I'll try to hit the highlights right on the answer here because we get into very deep kind of philosophical concept because I get this question a lot, right? About like, what do we, how are you going to keep it pure? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That, so that's a good all, So, like, first of all, one important thing to note is each and every one of us, myself included, is starting from a place of that is not absolute purity. All right. So, the objective here is not to go from something sub. Uh, a sub 100% purity to 100% purity and stay there. We are going from like 1% right now in the world, <laughs> if I'm being generous, right, of purity. And if we go from one to two, right, that's the goal. The goal is to get purer, not the pure rest. Because once we are the pure rest, right, then this thing is, then we're all gone from here, right? I mean, it's like we're kind of, you know, we're, uh, it's, you're in another realm, right? So that's the first important thing to note is that corruption is 
Where does corruption come from? It comes from human ignorance. And human ignorance is going to be there as we walk on this journey, period, right? I mean, it's there now. And it's, all we're doing is we're lessening some of the ignorance that is out there. So that's, that's important point number one. What we, it just helps us all take a deep breath that like, oh, man, if we set the bar this high, what if we like, no, 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 no. We're human beings and we're trying to do better than we did yesterday. I may not be where I want to be today, but I'm sure glad I'm not where I was yesterday, right, is the first point. The second point is in terms of how we're actually going to do this. A lot of that, and this is, might seem like a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I always say this, that decisions, when we make them, context is everything. As you, I mean, if you think about it, whenever you make a decision to do anything, you walk out of your house to go to work, right? Context is everything. Should I take a right or should I take a left? Well, you look up, is it raining? What's the temperature like? Do I have an important meeting? Do I, am I, can I afford to get sweaty? Like there's a million different things that you're going to, not even a million, there's an infinite number of, of things that drive the context, right? And so what we're going to do in any specific situation and how the governance is going to come together and all those details is really a function of what happens in the next few months and what the context is in those situations. And all I can really say, I can't give you a definitive, this is how it's going to be structured because we're not there yet. We will be in about six months. And when we are, we will figure it out. What I can say is this, that we're going to follow what I call the threefold path of the movement. Okay, so there's three steps. The first step is we're going to start to the best of our abilities with right volition. What does right volition mean? As an example, you can start with a, a volition of uh, love or you can start with a volition of fear. If you look at the current workplace, it's like the volition is all based on fear, greed, which comes from fear of lack. Right. So it's all these. So start with the right volition. That's step number one. And then number two, we take the right action, which, again, is an action that is rooted in love. Right. And those two things together, my volition and my action lead to the third uh, uh, piece, which is an outcome. Now, it's important to know, note that the outcome is out of our control. The outcome is the result of the volition and the action. Right. So as an example, money is an outcome. Right. You can't control and I can't control whether we're going to get, we can pursue money. We can control our pursuit of money. We can control our pursuit of building a big, but we can't control whether or not it's going to happen. And so what we do on the third piece is we surrender to, and in, in fact, embrace the outcome that comes from the right volition and the right action. So the answer to your question of what are we going to do and how's the organizational government's going to, uh, governance going to come together? Absolutely a very important question. I, it's hard to say right now because we don't even know how these businesses are going to evolve exactly what it's going to look like. But what I can say is that we're going to proceed with right volition and right action uh, when we when we produce it. And we do have a bunch of uh, ideas now um, that are formulating as we get this first business off the ground, which is probably it's a longer conversation now that the scope of the podcast. But if anybody listening is curious and wants to hear, absolutely would love to talk to you about it on things like, for instance, equity. What's the right way to do equity? It's sort of like, you know, how would the Buddha think about equity in a business? It's a very fascinating question in and of its own right. Or, you know, pick your great favorite philosopher. And so we are uh, uh, going to redefine and re, um, uh, create all of these things. What I can say is this, that with my 20 years in business uh, experience, and I'm sure many of the folks listening to this as well, what I'm will will agree. What I'm finding is that almost every single business practice that we've learned, everyone, almost everyone, needs to be blown up and recreated in a more human form. All this stuff. So the gov- So this is actually a a massive project for humanity uh, that will take 
potentially centuries to totally flesh out. I mean, this is the biggest thing I believe since, you know, the formation of capitalism itself. I mean, if we choose to look at it, I mean, think about it, right? If we're bringing awakening to work, through work, that's the last frontier. I mean, where's the one place on earth that we all go where we physically commingle with other people that typically don't have the same viewpoints as us? It's work, right? I mean, outside of work, we're hanging out with our social circles, our friends, our, right? At work, and so if we can bridge the divide there, imagine what happens to human connection outside of work. It transforms people's lives. It transforms the disconnection, right, that we have here. So. Right, and, and, and there's evidence for that. I don't know if you've come across the book Maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, uh, written about a company uh, in Brazil um, who who took on actually many of the things you're talking about, radical trans- transparency, deep care for the human being, um, a lot of autonomy for the different business units operating within the group. Um, it's just relatively small units with their own right. accountability for, for profit and loss. So, so, yeah. And what they found, what was interesting about the work here was that there was a reduction in domestic abuse among within the marriages of those people in that organization. Right. Because what we're doing is we're actually affecting what's going on deep within. Right. And when we do that, it radiates out. So all of the relationships, going back to your earlier, very good question about, well, what about customers and what about product? Those are all externalities. So when we solve it within, amazing things start happening downstream, so to speak, right? Outside of us. All those things actually get resolved. And people say, well, how can you be so sure that this is what it's going to be? And I say, this isn't my idea. This is not my thing. I read this in a book. This is like, you know, everybody from Aristotle to Jesus have like talked about it, right? So it's like, they might've been wrong, maybe. But it's not me, right, who's saying this. So there are lots of books. There's Maverick. There's um, Reinventing Organizations, which folks mm. might have uh, heard of, right, uh, by Fred Lou that talks a about fellow, this. A fellow uh, McKinsey, uh, fellow McKinsey alumnus, exactly. right? Exactly, who had enough as well and left and moved to the, you know, I think the forest of upstate New York or Belgium or somewhere. But, uh, but yes, there are, there's a growing body, which, which is actually encouraging, and I love it. I mean, the old me, when I first was – this thing came to me and I was researching the, you know, the field, so to speak, right. And reading these books. And initially I'll, I will be the first to uh, admit my first reaction was, Oh no. Like I thought about it in the conventional world kind of, uh, Oh no, this has already been done. And our, this is competition. And then I realized there's no, in this world, in the open world, there's no co- competition. It's all like us working together. There's the, we're going to increase the size of the pie so significantly. Uh, that there is no competition, right? And so we bring everybody uh, together. And number one, it's bringing everybody together and sharing ideas. And number two, it's proof that it can work. So when people say, ah, this isn't going to work, it's like, no, let's talk about this business and stuff. Let's talk about, you know, uh, Joost Bloch's business that uh, is talked about in reinventing organizations in, in the Netherlands, right? The nursing organization, the nursing organization in the Netherlands. This, can't, this not only can be done, it is being done. Mm-hmm. And what we are going to do is this is kind of taking it to you know, another level, a deeper level, right? And saying, all right, we're going to operate everything. Like take transparency, for example. I mean, when I say transparency, I'm talking about everything. Like everything in the business, right? Because like, you want to see how much I earn? Here you go. You want to see my strategic plan? Here you go. Like here, take it, right? And people say, what's the catch? I say, there actually is one catch. There is one catch, right? Before I show you my strategic plan, you can't just write me, you know, from halfway around the world and say, send me your strategic plan. I send it to you by email. No. First, uh, 
first you must come in and connect. What does that mean? It means put your phone down, put the tablet away, look me in the eyes, and tell me, what brings you meaning? What brings you purpose? How can I help you achieve that on this world? And how can you help our, and once we've had that conversation and we've connected, then it's like, here you go, take it. Take it, take it, take it, actually make it better. Because I'm not even saying that it can't get better, to your point earlier about how, you know, from corruption and purity. It's, I, all I'm saying is it's better than what is, right? Yeah. Because the reality is, like, we talk about ownership and all this stuff, this idea and this concept. Like, I don't own anything here. You know what I mean? So what I have to offer cannot be stolen. You already have it, like we talked about earlier. You already got it. Just close your eyes. You'll see it. So what we do is we build the model such that, right, the very model itself cannot be stolen. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, because if you steal it and you make it your own and you change it and you make it not transparent, well, now you've created a different it. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing is founded on, uh, I suppose, an open exchange in connection that ultimately is serving some higher purpose for us all. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in the course of what's happening is we are transforming how business is done, how commerce is done. So one way to describe what we're doing, right. If, uh, and. But I uh, think it's deeper than that. Sorry to, I, I will. I think it's about how we relate. I think you're talking about how we relate, how we relate to ourselves and how we, uh, relate to each other and and the outcome or the impact of that is shifting how we do business and how exactly right that's exactly right that's exactly right you, you just summed it up it's it's going within and and connecting to ourselves and once we connect to ourselves then we connect with each other all of these questions about products and purpose of the company and strategy and all that stuff and designs and you know the book and all that stuff just gets done and it gets done much better, much quicker, much, uh, you know, uh, uh, a higher volume, right? More gets done. It's higher quality, all of the above. Like check, 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 check. All the check marks and box. One way to describe what we're doing, um, it's not the way, but one way to describe what we're doing, which might be helpful for folks listening, is if you're familiar with sort of the Eastern um, Indian Hindu tradition, right? Um, everything in the Hindu tradition is based on what are, what are called the Vedas. The Vedas. There, there are four sacred texts that, essentially, the way I think about the Vedas is they, they're, they're a series of texts that explain the principles of how energy works, right? And even modern physics is saying that everything today is all about everything is energy. Even the solid matter that we see is all goes down to energy. Now, what happened was thousands of years ago, the rishis, the saints and sages, right, in, in India, they recognized that in order for us to actually use those principles, we as human beings, we need systems to be able to like systematize, right? What the, what the teachings of the Vedas are. And so what they did was they developed a series of systems. Like for instance, they developed a system for health and wellness that was based on the Vedas. And that system of health and wellness is called Ayurveda. And people have heard of Ayurvedic mm, medicine, right? Mm. Or uh, another thing they created was a system of spirituality and philosophy. And that system is called yoga. It's a system of spirituality, right? Spirituality philosophy based on the Vedas. And there are five other systems, actually. There's six total systems of spirituality, philosophy, and Hindu. Opinion. And like that, there are other systems. Like there's a system for the physical environment, similar to Feng Shui, that's called Vastu, 
right? That is based on the Vedas. And so these are huge, vast systems, right? That were created for us as human beings to use these principles. So one way to describe what we're doing is we are developing the system that is based on the Vedas of commerce, mm. right? Which mm. doesn't exist. So mm. when you put it that way, mm. what we're talking about here is, is on the scale and size and scope of order of magnitude of like yoga. I mean, it's like a once in a millennium kind of project. Now, again, I want to be very careful to sort of describe this. A lot of people say, oh, well, is this like, a th it's like, do I have to believe in anything, right? To be part of that? I say, yeah, 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 you do. You got to believe in yourself. There's no believing in anything here. It's all about, it's all about doing, you know? And, and what, what these traditions provide us, right, are, a, are lexicons, shorthand, to be able to have a conversation sort of like we're talking about now with the Vedas and so forth. But we could just as easily talk about this in, you know, Western philosophical terms, in non-philosophical terms. So we talk about love, trust, abundance, other kinds, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I suppose the argument against the sort of the Eastern conditions is what the West did well with the Enlightenment and so on is, is to create this, uh, the objectives, this objective sense of the thing over there that we could categorize and analyze and we developed yeah. a certain scientific method and that gave us control over materiality, which, right. which gave us all these gifts of technology, which ultimately allow us to, to lead these abundant lives, which give us the yeah. freedom to, to ponder these questions. And, but if we lose sight of our sort of ability to, control materiality then then maybe we lose you know a lot yeah. of what we gained as, as as humanity so this is a really important point yes and now we have an opportunity so the point is again materiality is not evil what i always say this in the in in, in the movement that materiality money technology all these things are not evil in fact they're, they're they they can be huge boons right to what we're talking about here the problem is not money. The problem is when I step on your face to pick up the $10 bill that's behind your head, right? That's the issue. Instead, what I should be doing, what, what we now have an opportunity to do is for me to say, hey, Richard, there's a $10 bill behind your head. Let's work together to go get it, right? And when we get it, let's share it. And then what I'm saying is when we do it in that way, what's going to happen is that $10 bill is actually going to magically turn into a $100. So the issue is not the money, the issue is not the technology, the issue is not the materiality. In fact, these are uh, very powerful tools in our toolkit, but that's the double-edged sword. Like you said earlier, technology is very powerful and it can be, because it's so powerful is what's led to the, because it's not being used in the right way, it's led to this disconnection. If we use it in the right way, imagine what we could do. I mean, we literally, so scientists, I think, around the world generally agree that human beings do not use the full brain capacity, right? I think, like, there's whatever the numbers are. Maybe it's, like, 2% of our brain. It's, a, like, a low number, right, that we use. 98% of our brain that lies dormant. So why does that 98% of our brain lie dormant? It's because it's asleep. And when we wake up, that start waking up. And how do we wake it up? By becoming more connected. When we start waking that 98% of that brain, of our brains that are asleep up, we start seeing solutions to problems that we didn't see before. So we look at things like climate change, right? We look at things like, you know, major healthcare, right? Major issues and challenges that we face in society that oftentimes, I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes I look at the cheese. Are we going to be able to climb? Are we going to work? Are we going to be gone? Right. And like, and the thing is a magical thing happens is this 98% starts to waken up. Not only does the volume and capacity of our brain power increase, 
but the coherence within the brain, right? The brain has different uh, modules and functions and parts of the brain. They start talking to each other better. And so you get results that, uh, that can really change, change the planet, change the world, change how we interact with each other. And that's really what we're aspiring to do. So it's, this is not at all a message because a lot of people hear this as, oh, well, what do you want to like don orange robes and go to the top? And that's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is human beings with materiality, not human beings like discarding materiality and like renouncing everything. No, 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 no. It's with, with, it's all with. with. Uh, yeah, right. And, and better use of, better use of different relationship too. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's guess. sort of like, yeah. you know, ask yourself the question, a very simple question to ask is like, are you in control of the phone or is the phone in control of you? I mean, it's a good question. You, you, you raised yeah. a really important point earlier. It's like, man, you know, uh, human beings are, you know, kind of, uh, we've been able to master and kind of control, right? I mean, the materiality around us. And in some ways we've lost control. The phone is in control of us. <laughs> right? Yeah. right, right, right. So we got to ask the really deep question. These are powerful tools, but how are we going to use these tools, right, to serve us as opposed yeah. to us serving them? You know, like, yeah. like, 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 hit the like button, right? And we've, we've kind of fetishized these aspects of materiality and you know, technology and money and, and shareholder value. I mean, I suppose that's the topical thing, right? Jamie Dimon saying, you know, cap, you know, it's just forget capital uh, shareholder value and so yeah that, that seems like there's there's some cracks in the establishment and the these new new messages are starting to bleed through i mean we've reached a fever pitch now right we've reached a fever pitch i mean it's kind of uh it's some of the great I've, I've heard several philosophers say over time that uh you know human suffering basically continues 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 and it gets worse and worse and worse until we get to the point where it's like all right i can't take it anymore right and I think what's, I hope, I should say, I hope what's happening now is we're finally with 86% employee disengagement with 43 people on earth who have more financial, I think it's the number, something on the order of this. 43 people on earth have more financial wealth than the bottom 3.4 billion with a B, not with an M. Okay. Which by the way, I want to make a really important point here for anybody listening is that is not in and of its own right the problem. And it's totally okay within the movement. Income inequality is Okay. Income disparity is okay. Uh, net worth, wealth, like all that kind of net, net uh, financial worth, all that is okay. That's not the problem. The problem is when it's at the sake of other people. In a fully awakened state, right, there is absolutely going to, I believe, there's absolutely going to be income inequality. There's absolutely going to be different levels of like, you know, you have in quotes more than I do, right? I mean, in terms of the material assets and so, and that's okay. That's fine. Again, money is not the problem. The problem is when I'm stepping on your face to go get it. Because if you came to me right now and said, hey, Deb, I'm going to give you, you know, a billion dollars, go buy a jet. I would say, I'm not interested. Like, I don't want it, right? But I do live in the Bay Area. I do like to travel. I do like to eat well. I do like, you know, my, my needs and wants, right, are more than like a monk. But they're not here. And so oftentimes people think, oh, when you do this, there's going to be this gigantic land grab and everybody's going to want the maximum. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. And again, we've got lots of examples just on what we've done just in the past like six months that prove that this is how it works. And the way to get there is by first, one person has to lay down their arms and create a safe environment for the other person to then have the courage and the permission to do the same. 
And I'm not saying every person's going to take you up on it and do it every single time again. And say, oh, well, what if this happens? What if that? Of course, it will. But guess what? That happens today, doesn't it? Hmm. We get screwed left and right. Like people's day, everybody like in business is trying, in fact, to screw the other person. Like that's the goal. You know, that's the 10 out of 10 times. And what I'm saying is, it's going to happen, but it'll happen one out of 10 times or two out of 10 times. And we'll learn from those to your point about developing the governance and the organizational structures and the rules and the criteria that we, I mean, all that stuff is going to evolve over time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I do, I can see your point here about we, we are going to develop new systems around this, right? And, and uh, Frederick Leloux in that book, Re- Reinventing Organizations, start to talk about the, the sort of, he talks, talks about teal organizations, doesn't he? But at the sort of outer limits of this, we're, we're still not 100% clear what these organizations may look like. And there's probably something beyond that. And we're at the start of, I suppose, observing uh, new, new forms in organizations. Right. Right. Um, it's exactly right. Will enable this. Yeah. yeah and right. and the beauty of this is I, the way I see it, if I'm looking out on the horizon is there's not going to be any, I don't believe one size fits all uh, kind of solution. This is how an oboe organization looks. I think there will be certain principles and certain rules, right. That will be common. And uh, in fact, probably there will be some things that are like maybe required. Right. But the point is that, Generally speaking, the way this is actually going to manifest, there's going to be an infinite number of ways of doing this in, in a more awakened way that I can say one thing, though, that they will all look different than what we have today, because what we have today just simply isn't working. And the funny thing about it, man, is like I hear all these, you know, being in corporate America, corporate America for 20 years, it's like people talk about servant leadership. I don't know if they're, they're talking about this in the UK mm. now, but like, oh, I'm a servant leader, Right. And it's like servant leader, like you, you know where the term servant leader comes from? It comes from a guy who's like washing a leper's feet, right? It's like that's servant leadership. And what we want to create is a model where the CEO, C-level executives and management are true servant leaders. Like they're actually there in service to the employees. And what happens is the employees through their awakening, right, at work are so overjoyed right? Have so much gratitude that literally the size of the pie in the organization just explodes. And there's so, there's more than enough to go around for everyone. Right. It's, it's pretty exhilarating. It's very, it, it, it it's really very is. powerful. Well, and the thing is, we've got a path now, you know, one of the first, I can maybe just take a couple minutes and talk about this, right? We, one of the first businesses that we're launching is a merchandise business, right? So uh, hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, et cetera. So we have this unbelievably pure message, right? As pure as it gets. We couple that with, again, I'm partial, but I'll call it beautiful branding, right? That our, uh, mm-hmm. that our uh, team came up with. Okay. We then take that and put it on um, lovingly designed articles of merchandise, right? We have designers who have actually like taken the time to, to, you know, to put these things together. And then we get this message out later this year or early next year to at least, you know, my goal is at least 10 million people. Right, because we have 250 supporters in the movement or so and growing every day now. And some of these people have big social media followers. Right? So we push this message out. And we ask you, please support us. Right. And when we sell you a hoodie, here's how we're gonna sell it. We're gonna tell you exactly how much it costs us to produce it, exactly how much it costs us to ship it, and exactly how much margin we're making. Total, complete transparency, everything. And people say, What are you gonna do when people are skeptical? Say, so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna double down on transparency. 
<laughs> You're skeptical? Come on in. Take a look. Like, what are you skeptical about, right? And my goal, and so, so all of this sounds pretty, so you see, I don't know how many, I can't tell you right now, are we going to sell 10 hoodies? We're going to sell 10 million. I don't know. Like, even if we had $100 million in the bank towards marketing, we wouldn't know that, right? My hope is that this message will touch enough people and they see the potential in this changing the world, that that money that's going to come in is going to be money that goes into the pocket of the movement to fund initiatives and projects and right that operate on these principles. Uh, and now I've set the goal for us to get this business off the ground with, with basically no money. It's a physical products business, right? Which is like taking it to the level. And the funny thing is, man, when I, in my, in my prior life, it was all about dialing down expectations, right? Come on, you got to manage your expectations. You got to like be realistic, right? And now whenever anybody tells me that, I go, I go the opposite direction, right? I said, no, 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 because the power of human ingenuity is infinite. When we come together, if I'm doing it alone, not going to work. But when, when we change the lens from I and me and my in business to us, magical things happen. So there's a pretty good chance that, that when we have this conversation 12 months from now, we'll be in a very, very different spot and this thing could, you know. <laughs> there'll, be people, there'll be over hoodies everywhere. Hopefully, hopefully. Right? And not even for the hoodies, but just for the, for the, for the message of what it is, right? For the message of what it is. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. I love the aspiration. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, and you're taking things to another level, right? I mean, there are companies that are highly transparent internally, but to then share that with customers as well. Um, yeah. Well, you know, um, I can give you another just really simple example. Like as we're choosing suppliers in our merchandise business, um, you know, talk about transparency. Who you're not going to pay. <laughs> well, no, 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 we are. So, so here's, the, here's the awesome thing about it. When we get orders, we're going to do just in time, Right. So we're going to consolidate the orders and then the supply. So that'll be the first influx of money of revenue that flows through the movement, right? Revenue comes in and then the suppliers get paid. It's just getting the business off the ground, right? Yeah. That has yeah, to be yeah. done. Then. So when we're having these conversations with suppliers, right, what we've done is we've said, all right, just so you know. So in a conversation like this, I would say, hey, just so you know, Richard, we're talking with five other potential uh, suppliers. First 10 minutes are just talking about the movement and everybody's super exhilarated. This is awesome. They've never heard anything like this, right? They're like, I, yeah, I want to be part of this. Then 10 minutes into it, I, I get to the point, right? I deliver the message. I say, all right, well, we're actually um, talking with five other potential suppliers just so you know. And you can see on these Zoom calls immediately what happens, right? Immediately, everybody kind of looks down, and hammer me on pricing and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, but then I pause them and I say, but hang on a second. Because this time it's going to be a little different. If you want to participate in this thing, then you will participate in this thing. Even if that means that you're going to work with your competitors, right? In the spirit of abundance, there's more than enough to go around for all of us. And what we're going to do is we're all going to sit down at the table and we're all going to figure out how this is going to work and what everybody's role is going to be. Mm. I know exactly. Everybody's response yeah. is that. What? Like what? They've never heard this, right? And they start smiling. And then what I say to them is I say, and you know how we're doing this? And they go, how? And I go, because we're choosing to do it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, 
Yeah. I feel like we've we've reached uh, we've reached a great pace. I mean, you've you've laid out the vision for this. I'm super exhilarated for you, really, and for the movement. Um, yeah, for us, I, I, for us, for us. And I, what I think is interesting about the merchandise angle as well is that, um, and the and and your focus on branding uh, is that a lot of the, the a lot of these ideas at the moment live in books, right? And they live. Um, you know, and certainly there's some organizations are taking this on, um, but it's not like it's it's really emerged as a as a sort of I suppose as a consumer brand type right, idea, right. right? It's not well, it's not captured the sort of broader public consciousness yet, and this feels like it could be an opportunity to start to touch into the broader public consciousness with hoodies and mugs and 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 a, and a, and a broad sort of B to C type approach here yeah. exactly message and if we've got i mean I, I can tell you something about the branding which is also really interesting should i mm. should i roll yeah should yeah it? sure yeah, yeah so on our branding um you know our logos is triple infinity and there are there's uh basically uh room for three colors in there right the the o's are typically one color the b is another color and then it's on a background it's three colors right so when we were doing the branding project that i talked about earlier um, we got to the final point, and by the way, that project as well was run using the principles of this of, of the movement, right? So you can imagine branding is one of the most emotionally charged projects that exists in a business, right? So that's its own story about how we handled that, right? Using the principles, and it was that's mm. you can see what the result was, right? Because we handled it, um, I think, really well in a very creative, mm. uh, safe environment. But when we got to the end, there were seven people. Uh, and there were seven different versions of the same basic design, but seven different color schemes, right? So color is one of these things that really elicits a lot of emotion from people, right? I mean, you, you know, if you've ever been a part of a logo or branding project, we must choose yellow because yellow means that, and here's like reams of scientific studies that show that yellow like activates the frontal lobe, and like all this stuff. And you're just like, all right. So we got to the point where it's like, all right, what should the main color scheme of the logo B, because as we know, we've all been taught, right? Branding 101 teaches us, pick your color scheme and you stick to it, right? Mm. And so this is where we were stuck. I was particularly stuck. I was like, what are we gonna do? Because I'm like, I love all the color schemes, right? I mean, they're all amazing. We had seven different color schemes, there were 10 different color schemes, they were awesome. So we sat on it for a little bit and then it, the answer finally came to us. And what we decided was we're gonna be the first brand that I know of on earth that intentionally has no main color scheme. In other words, it's constantly changing, like January, February, March, different applications, web, print, all that stuff. And why? What's the message? The message is all colors are welcome. Right. right? So we build it into the brand. You have this, the very basic structure of the logo, but there is no main color scheme. And so there's complete freedom within it. It's built into the very message of it. And if you think about it, what that one simple yet profound decision, where did it lead us to? We talked about the merchandise business. If we would have had one main color scheme, think of what the merch business would have been. It would have been like, how many red, white, and blue hoodies are you going to buy? You'd be like, this is really cool. I'll buy one, right? But you're not going to buy like 10. Mm. But now you can imagine where we're going to go on the designs of these things. There's huge amount of flexibility, right? In color and like, you know, even just slight ad adaptation of the logo. I mean, we have over 300 designs now, right? We've gone with different colors and different, like all speaking to, you know, what the designer felt and what, what the designer, uh, what this means to the designer, right? So 
you know, it's what's fascinating about this for me, just as a like, as an, you know, um, I, I'm intellectually fascinated by it is that, um, you know, when you see this stuff actually come into, into play, the amount that's been achieved so far with almost no money and only one full-time person is just totally mind-blowing. And I'm excited to see what happens when we actually get money into this thing. We have a full-time team on this, on this thing. I mean, we could literally like, you know, change the world forever. Absolutely. No, I, I, it's all there. It's all possible. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're already well, well on your way. And, and what you're talking there about branding resonates. I mean, I remember again back to the Ricardo Semler, the Maverick book, is that he talked about in his organization, people were free to render the logo in however they uh, ah. felt they wanted to. And I think that again speaks to the humanity. You know, we, we want to express ourselves in idiosyncratic ways, right? We, we, we want to, and we want to express the symbols we love in, in different ways. So it makes, yep. makes sense. In our own something. way, in our yeah. own unique way. Right. Each one of yeah. us is unique. We're united yeah. in our differences. Yeah. So, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And your story sounds very different than, than, the, you know, you've not been scratching around trying to get VC and, you know, uh, and, and, and stressing about how much equity to give people if they're doing stuff for free. And, you know, so this is a, yes, a very different story from a, an early entrepreneur, isn't it? So, so it is, it yeah. is. And the VC element, I mean, that's again, its own, uh, own entire hour-long podcast I'm, I'm very skeptical having been in the industry of private equity and very familiar with venture capital i just think the way that it's set up right now is just structurally is totally like you know it's like we walked out of the building and venture capital took a left and the open movement took a right i mean and, and then now we're like seven miles of like i mean it really you know because it's all about the spreadsheet and the deck and send me this and send me that and like you know and it's like no 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 like before you even consider investing in this thing, I want to understand how does this create meaning and purpose for you? Yeah. The venture capitalist looks at you like, what the hell? What are you talking about, dude? Let's meaning? go take a walk, walk. Let's go take a walk in the woods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's take a walk in the woods. Right. <laughs> you know? Great. All right. Well, I'm sure we could talk forever, but uh, yeah, this has been exhilarating. Um, I'm going to wish you, uh, wish you well with the movement. I can't wait till the hoodies come out. I'll Absolutely. sign Thank me you. up, you know, I'll, and uh, it's an honor connecting uh, with you. It's, it's always an honor to connect with people who get it. Right. And not only do you get it, uh, I'm sure a lot of the folks listening to this right now, uh, you know, on your podcast, will get it and see the, the magnitude of the opportunity that lies before us here. Right. This is something that really, if we, if we choose, this can't be me. In fact, it's not much. People ask me, how's your movement going? It's not mine. <laughs> That's what got us into this mess. Mine, mine, me, my, my. No, 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 no. It's ours. This is, I just have a different role. You know, my role is to articulate the vision, galvanize and inspire us. That's it. And then I, there's like 99 million things I can't do. I can't do the logo. I can't do the merch. I can't do any of this stuff. Right? I can't do a podcast, right? Being you. Like, that's, that's, that's you, right? That's Richard. We need, we need, we need Richard, right? So, Anyway, so it's an honor. Thank you, thank you, and uh, we'll keep you posted. Yeah, Yeah, we'll put when we'll put we'll put links. Um, Yeah, and let us know when we put the book out. I can I can also put a book book uh, a link to the to the book. uh, You know when that comes out later in the year. Maybe have you back on again. We can talk about the book. Totally, totally, totally. All right, sir. 
Okay. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of your, your day. Uh, yeah. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dev. Same here. Same here. Same here. We'll talk soon. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.